It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, good afternoon, everybody. How are we all doing as we get ready for uh, a stormy night of hockey at the tank? Yeah, hopefully everybody's doing all right. There's down trees, power lines, falling glass in San Francisco. It's pretty wild out there, so uh, drive safe. I know that I will be when I am making my way in to San Jose a little bit later this evening. Uh, but one of the more interesting things that we talk about with tonight's game, the Bedard Bowl between the San Jose Sharks and Columbus Jackets, which, yeah, I am, uh, you know, as you've known, I, I like to see wins. That's that's more of what I'm all about. I like to see wins. I like to see fun times. I like to see the happy audience chanting for tacos inside SAP Center. That said... Um, you know, I do acknowledge the gravity of potentially getting a player like Connor Bedard. So while I do want the Sharks to win, yeah, you know, a loss isn't the worst thing in the world either. As for the game, one of the quotes that I appreciated coming out from head coach David Quinn earlier today is that he knows that, you know, it's the quote-unquote Bedard Bowl meaning to it. But his quote when asked about this is, we are going to play our asses off tonight. And you know what? I like that because... All year long, the San Jose Sharks have not played like a team that is um, towards the bottom of their division. They have not played like a team that's toward the bottom of their conference or the bottom of the league overall. They have played like a team that wants to win and is trying to win. And I think that, you know, if you keep that mentality up and you do lose, then everybody says, all right, so, you know, you played a hard game. You're not good enough. When all is said and done, that can help you get a better draft position. But I think that if you were actually in a position where the Sharks were capable of playing better than they are, and I don't just mean that from a mistake standpoint, to, but to where it actually felt like they were, you know, tanking or something to that effect. Yeah, nobody nobody would want to see that. Nobody would want that to be part of the reality. That's, that's an icky feeling. And while there is certainly some demoralizing aspects that are coming into play after a year like this that it's been for the San Jose Sharks, at the same time, you do acknowledge that, yeah, you've got You've got your work cut out for you. You tried your hardest. It didn't work out your way, but you know you end up with a good draft pick as the, I won't say the reward for a tough year because none of the guys in that dressing room want that draft pick, but you know there might be a light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, it's just been an unfortunate year. You know I know we can talk till we're blue in the face about what unfortunate means and how unfortunate it came to be, but you know the six wins at home, which is something I'm going to talk about with Aaron Portsline, the Athletic, in a minute here. That's one of those things that I don't think anyone could have ever seen coming. And yeah, I would have liked it if the Sharks had been able to turn things around and get into a better position. Um, you know, after the slow start, but that's just never what came to be. And Eric Carlson's having a phenomenal year, and we get to have that as something to pay attention to until the end. You know, he's on pace to have a hundred-point season or more, and he's moving into a realm of. You know, where only a couple of Sharks players have ever registered in terms of the points they've scored overall. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's, you know, that that stuff you pay attention to 
You acknowledge it as it's part of the narrative of the Sharks this year. It's not as good as winning or being in the playoffs, but there are some small bright spots. So hopefully that is one that you you will take away. Uh, but right now we are going to talk about uh, everything as it involves the, the Sharks and Columbus. We are now joined on the Sharks Audio Network by Aaron Portsline of The Athletic, who covers Columbus and of course uh, knows the game of hockey quite well. And I- I'm sure that you are sick and tired of hearing uh, low-hanging fruit people like myself refer to tonight as the uh, Bedard Bowl, but uh, I guess I'll start there, man. Are you are you in any way sick of that story at this point? Uh, well, no, and and it's a good thing I'm not because I think it's going to be with us for a while. I think if, if you know if San Jose wins tonight, uh, I don't. It's not quite sealed off yet, but it would sure start to look like it's going to be Columbus or Chicago fighting at the bottom. Um, that would open up a five point gap, which is a pretty good gap this time of year. Uh, Columbus wins and it's, uh, it'll be neck and neck to the finish line. Hey, that's what this season's been about in Columbus here for, for, I don't know, three months, four months now. Mm -hmm. The only thing I feel slightly bad about is if if I'm Adam Fantilli, I'm thinking, man, any other year, I'm the big (laughs) deal here. And I think someone who doesn't win the lottery but may pick second is going to be devastated when they probably shouldn't be because they're going to get a hell of a player too. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of this is that, I mean, even beyond him, there's also several, several good players in, in the draft. And, you know, I I think what's what's interesting about this and watching the way that this tanking conversation, which I am I'm not a fan of, I understand if you're the worst team, you know, it's not like it guarantees either way, but has, in your opinion, has Bedard made it specifically intense this year like I feel like this discussion even more so than when there was Eichel and McDavid I, I, maybe it's just because there's one player that's seen as generational but I feel like this year it has been particularly intense well I think it's intense for the number for the for to get that pick I think it's intense among management groups but I have to say I don't think I when you know it, I know what tanking means and and I think it's an interesting topic because management may want the number one pick, but if you talk to the guys in the room and if you watch how the blue jackets have played, I'll just speak to them specifically because I cover them. They haven't stopped playing. In yeah. games. Um, they still play their, their rear ends off and are, and have gone on some stretches where you're like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is, this is not the point now, but the players don't seem to get that. I don't think, I mean, San Jose's been cool here for a little for a little while. Look what Arizona's done. Yeah. They're not tanking. Um, Anaheim has had a little uptick here. Chicago has been a couple of two-week stretches where they've been 500. They've won some games you wouldn't expect them to win. I guess I haven't watched these teams play and said, God, they're not even trying. And I, I got that feeling with Edmonton-Buffalo that those two teams were just really demoralized and had stopped competing and i don't see that here i see some teams certainly at the bottom of the standings not good teams but Mm -hmm. not not teams just mailing it in no i I will agree with you in that capacity and that's what's made it you know so frustrating when you watch some of these teams like the sharks or columbus because you do see the effort out there and the sharks obviously have not been winning a lot lately but usually a pretty spirited effort but the fan intensity i mean the, the from sharks fans just saying you know, literally posting on social media, I hope they lose tonight. I'm just thinking, or then, you know, fans of other franchises, I guess that's the aspect that I've never seen quite so intense where fans yeah. are hoping for. Like that to me 
is is just really unique. And I guess, you know, now even compared to when McDavid and Eichel did come up, social media has that much more of a presence. So we hear about it that much more. And I think a few years ago, it was still seen as like an unspeakable thing. It, maybe it happens, but you just don't talk about it. Look, the Penguins did it for Mario Lemieux. The Penguins kind of have figured it out for two generations now and had superstar players. Um, so it's not a new thing, but I, I also think it's an easier point to reach. And I think that transcends sports. I don't think it's just hockey. I think you're seeing that in, in I think what happened in football, I think Houston had the number one pick and then somehow won the last game of the season and Chicago jumped over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeing, and, and their fan base was just devastated. And it, what I think is weird too, though, is in the building, those people want wins. Right. And on social media, those people are all about the tank. So I don't know. I'm not sure what that says, um, but it seems to be drawn pretty. When when you're in that building, I, I don't get the sense. I've not heard any. We want Connor chants. I don't hear any Bronx cheers when they when they lose. They want them to win in the building. They want them to lose on social media for what that's worth. Yeah. No. I, it's very similar to how it is out here. And then just you know the other part of this is that these are all prospects and. You never know. I mean, I can go bring you names from every sport, all the major sports in North America and tell you this uh, player, you know, this guy was supposed to change everything and didn't. And while it does seem like there is more of a, of a proving ground in hockey that allows us to extrapolate success at one level from another, it's still not a guarantee. And then even if the guy is great, I mean, let's say there is a, as happens, a devastating injury that derails things even more. I mean, it's, it's not like, you get this and then you're guaranteed to have a Stanley cup in yep. three years. Let's go talk to some Oilers fans about that. Right. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think if there's so much that goes into this, like you have to have the infrastructure around that player to raise that player the right way too. you think back to when Crosby came into the league and it was Lemuse last year, Mark Recchi was here, uh, Sergei Gonchar, some really respected veteran players. Um, Look who went when, you know, Stamkos came in. Some of the veterans down in Tampa mm-hmm. that were there with him, the Cavalier, uh, St. Louis, just really proven guys. And you, you got to have that in place. It's not just that player by themselves. Um, but you got to do some team building, which is a, a tricky thing, too. It's the, the chemistry still has to be right to get you up and over the hump. One player, especially in hockey. It doesn't just elevate. The other thing is, though, you can go about it the hard way, and Columbus has tried to go about it that way for years and years and years, and you look at the teams that are the the dominating Stanley Cup winning teams. It's how Colorado got McKinnon. Mm -hmm. It's how Pittsburgh got Crosby. It's how Tampa Bay got Stamkos. You can go up and down the list. This is how – this is a very – successful way to build a very good team is to win the lottery the right year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very true. And I mean, that's like you said, there's a lot of things that go beyond getting the pick, but obviously it is a way that is, it is proven to have success. Is there regardless of where the chips may fall in terms of having the number one pick overall or not, because for all these teams in the mix, we know things can change depending on how things work out. But is there a timeline for Columbus on when they think they might be able to build themselves back up? Because for the Sharks, there's been a resistance 
to label things as a rebrand or rebuild, which I understand, but there's still, there's, you know, there's a reset going on of sorts, even if they still have Couture and Carlson and Hurdle. Um, And then when we spoke with the general manager of the Sharks a couple weeks ago, right at the end of the deadline, he said that um, he wasn't willing to put a timeline on it specifically. The one most telling thing he said is that I'm not always going to trade for picks. I'm going to trade for NHL players too, if I can. So that, I mean, it was a nebulous answer, but I think we all interpreted wanting to get better sooner rather than later. Has this has this question been broached with Columbus? It has, and you know, I I I, I think GMs look at it as there's really nothing good that comes from them putting a timeline on anything, because mm-hmm. um, then if you don't meet it, you you've got a very public uh, shortcoming on your hands. The I think the situation here though is they expect to be competitive much sooner than later. If you look at the at this team and the, the absolute devastation that has occurred by injury, they should be dramatically better next year. I'm not sure if you say playoff team next year, but certainly competitive for that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what it does to this team to take Zach Wierenski out of the lineup. Yeah, uh, very early in the season, their best defenseman, their best player, really. Uh, you take Jake Voracek, their leading scorer from last year, has missed all season. Um, their goaltending has not nearly been good enough. Their defense needs to be completely overhauled. But up front, they're in pretty, they've got some pretty interesting pieces. And there's going to be some substantial change down the middle. Uh, I think the lottery can help them with that as well. But that's the real soft spot is, is the top four D in the center. Uh, position and, and there's reason to see that those can be dramatically better next year. They expected to compete this year, mm-hmm. uh, as crazy as that sounds. Completely done in by the injuries, completely done in by some key positions that they needed to perform in a certain way and just didn't. Uh, and they're moving on from those guys. Um, but they, I think next year, I don't suspect they're going to be a lottery team. Next year, I don't think they think they're going to be that either, but we shall see. What do you expect to see in tonight's match against San Jose from Columbus? Well, you're going to see rookie goaltender Daniil Tarasov, uh, who is going to be an NHL goaltender next year, but it has not been the season at all that they wanted for him development-wise. He's barely played, really. He spent a lot of time in Columbus as as a backup watching on the bench because of injuries. And he himself has been injured, but uh, he's back in there tonight. He's a he has the potential to take over a game. Very good goaltender when he when he's on. Um, but yeah, they'll go hard. They've got some some limitations, and Sean Corrales out of the lineup now, uh, so they have a real hard time with faceoffs. And the defensive zone and penalty killing is a challenge for them uh, more than it was. But uh, but they I suspect they will play hard. They did against St. Louis on Saturday. And uh, had some moments there. Um, I I think it's a it's a very very important game. If you just turn the standings upside down, it can feel like it's a springtime playoff rush again. What is your perception of the Sharks right now? Knowing obviously that they did make that big trade of Timo Meyer uh, right before the deadline, and that now they are a team that you know has not been they've not been good at home. Obviously, six home wins all year long. Um, so where you know what do you? What do you think when you look at this team? And then also, what's the, the chatter that you hear from uh, your peers? Well, it's just hard for me to get my arms around the, the Sharks not being a good home team because that was always such a difficult place to play. Yeah. Especially for Columbus. I mean, just loud. And it just felt like bad things were inevitable 
there. So hearing you say they've got six wins there is just it, it's hard to get your arms around. Right. <laughs> I still look at that roster and I, I see some guys that can that can do some damage and have historically done some damage against the Blue Jackets. Uh, Couture jumps to mind. Um, I think I don't I wouldn't say they're in similar places. I think the the Sharks are probably realizing that a rebuild's necessary uh, maybe a couple years after Columbus did back in 2021. Um, but I, I still think both of these teams on any given night uh, can be super competitive. And so if I told you what I thought was going to happen tonight, I would only be guessing. That's the <laughs> beauty of it. What about the Eric Carlson turnaround? How surprised has that made you? And then where do you fall on the uh, offensive defenseman versus um, a more traditional defenseman for the North? Yeah, well, it's, it's an incredible story. And I'll just be honest with you. I did not think Carlson had a season like this in him. Um, I didn't understand the talk at the trade deadline that they were going to move him with all of that money left. I, I didn't see how that could possibly work. So I'm not sure. And with a flat cap, I'm not sure how he moves this summer, which is maybe a tough, that's a tough bit of news for the Sharks if they can't move him. But I think it's a great story and I love watching him play. Uh, I, if I'm a Sharks fan, I love watching him when he has the puck. Uh, when he when he doesn't, I'm I'm a little concerned, but that's the price you pay for a player like that. Mm-hmm. I, I look at I do try to factor in the best at his position description of that award, which to me does include some defensive zone play. But it is it's impossible to ignore a guy that's going to approach a hundred freaking points this year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to take your eyes off of that guy. Um, Kale McCarr to me is still the defenseman in this league that I would, I would take above all others. He's had not the season he had last year, still a damn good player. I think Josh Morrissey's had a really good season in Winnipeg. There's a couple of guys kicking around there in contention, but I think Carlson is going to get a lot of votes. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch how it all plays out. Well, Aaron, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you for carving out some uh, time in your busy afternoon and we'll do it again and uh, enjoy the game. All right, my friend. Oh, you too. And enjoy it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Again, that is Aaron Portsline of The Athletic joining us here on the Sharks Audio Network. And just to give you a little bit of a look ahead at the Sharks Audio Network schedule for later today, pre-game coverage will begin at 7 o'clock live right here on the Sharks Audio Network with Dan Rusinowski and Drew Remenda. And then tomorrow, we're going to have morning tides starting at 7, and then again at 8, and then at 9. And then at 10 o'clock, we've got Barracuda pre-game coverage with Nick Nolenberger as they have a 10.30 start. Start time against Henderson. Yeah, so that's an early one tomorrow. So keep that uh, in your date book and try and figure out when you're going to get in some more uh, Barracuda and or Sharks hockey as we get later into today and until tomorrow. And then, of course, we'll be back with you on Thursday as we get ready for the Kraken. But tonight, what I am mainly looking to see from the San Jose Sharks is just the continued effort that we've seen all year long, right? I mean, even though the wins haven't been there, even though the successes haven't been there, they've still put forth really good efforts. And that's what, you know, we got from David Quinn earlier today that the Sharks were going to play their asses off. And that's that's what the fans in attendance want to see. I know that the talk all around is that, you know, you want to get the Connor Bedard, but I think more than anything, people want to see an effort that they can get behind and especially the people in the building. They want to see the Sharks play a competitive game. No one ever groans when the Sharks hit a game winner in overtime. No one ever groans 
when the Sharks come back and take the lead. Everybody's always ecstatic. Everybody's always loving the moment and glad they're there. Now, granted, you want to get to a point where that happens consistently once again, and that might happen if you get a Connor Bedard. But at the same time, I know everybody there in the building tonight will want to see the Sharks win, unless they're a Blue Jackets fan, in which, yeah, that's a little bit different. But you know what I'm saying. Sharks fans in the building want to see the Sharks win. That wraps it up for this edition of the Build-Up. Like I said, I will see you tomorrow morning starting at 7 on Morning Tide, and then I'll be back with you on Thursday as we get ready for the Kraken. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify, and on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yen.